If you'd stand, I'm going to be reading from our passage today in Luke 12. Luke 12, and I'll begin in verse 13, where we read, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced, a plent- produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The Word of God. Please be seated. So church, uh, my 30 some odd years of pastoring, I find that uh, when I speak on two topics from the Bible that everything gets quiet, uh, people get a little nervous. One of those being money, the others of those, the other, other of that being sex. Luke hasn't been talking about sex, so we may have to get a sermon series on the Song of Solomon or something. Um, but money. By the way, uh, the, the first service crowd uh, just was normal. They acted normal. So uh, y'all just can relax too. Take a breath. It's going to be okay. You know, you know um, when it comes to these passages on money, uh, what we've got to understand is that God's not you know, it's not what God wants from us, but what God wants for us. He wants to replace, you know, there's so much bondage around money of all kinds of bondage and slavery. God wants you to have freedom. He does. Uh, There there can be so much worry and anxiety, and God wants you to have peace. He, He wants you to know joy rather than misery. And so I just encourage you just to, you know, just between you and God, Lord, Lord, what do you have for me today? Now, I want to say at the outset that, that Woods Edge is a very, very generous church. Thank you so much for your incredible generosity. I, I've noticed that for years, but particularly the last 15 months, 15 months ago, you, you know that we paid off all of our campus debt, and, and that began um, a, a long planned time in which 50% of our regular giving after that would go outside the walls of Woods Edge, you know, locally, internationally. Uh, good news, good deeds, uh, justice, compassion, discipleship, all, all kind of things outside. And, and that's been our, our plan, and, and it's been so fun. And it seems like that God's provision, the generosity of you as the church, just has just gone way up. And, and just, I want to thank you for all your generosity. And, and, and I want you to know my heart as your pastor this morning. I feel more like a father these days uh, as I'm getting older. And, and you know, God's going to take care of Wood's Edge financially. Uh, 
you know, we're just, more money comes in than, than we're budgeted for. But this is my concern. Uh, in a church this size, with this kind of generosity, probably many of you are experiencing the freedom, the joy of giving, of, of trusting God with your money, of being on the great adventure with God. You're avoiding debt as much as possible, and you're just, just experiencing the thrill of adventure with God. Uh, but no doubt, in a, in a church this size, many, many of you, this is an area of, of, uh, of pain and, and, and mounting debt that messes up marriages. And, and, and I want for you to, to, to understand the, the freedom, the truths that God has for us with money. So have that spirit today. Uh, also, uh, a little caution to those of you who, who give generously and you, you've done that for years. Um, I just want to warn you that... that uh, don't think this passage is for your neighbor who, who may need this. You know, this passage is going to take us right into the, to the, the throes of greed. And I know not one person who is completely free of greed, certainly including me. So I just encourage you, you know, no, no haughtiness here that, you know, my neighbor really needs this. Uh, you need this. And I need this. God's been speaking to me this week about it. So um, Jesus begins the passage and um, this man comes up who is all bent out of shape. No doubt he is in turmoil. He's got anxiety because his brother is not uh, being equitable and fair with the inheritance. You know, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, by the way, that was normal for rabbis in the first century world that if there was an inheritance dispute or something like that, you go to the rabbi and he'd settle it. But Jesus has an interesting response. He, he, de- he declines. He says, uh, who made me your judge or arbitra- arbitrator? And then he goes into talking about greed. Because Jesus knew that the real issue was not the legalities, uh, the, the, you know, what's equitable about this inheritance, but the real issue was the greed that was eating his lunch. Now, uh, do you think that's ever true of our inheritance disputes today, that it's really about greed? Is that, is that possible, that on some of ours, that, that maybe it's involved with greed, not just legal niceties? Uh, of course it is, probably just about every one. And, and, and Jesus uh, speaks powerfully, poignantly, briefly to this uh, challenge of greed that we all wrestle with. Um, he says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Uh, I don't know why the ESV, which is my favorite translation... Uh, translates it with the word covetousness, which is a word that we hardly ever use when there is an uh, everyday word, greed, uh, which is what the point is. Just the everyday, normal Greek word for greed. Take care, be on your guard against all greed. For your life does not consist in the abundance of its possessions. Now, unpack that a bit. That statement Jesus makes, your life is not made up of, it does not consist of the abundance of your possessions. It doesn't consist of how much money you have. Now, have you ever, ever heard of anybody say, certainly a believer, but anybody say, hey, my life, uh, you know, the essence of it, the heart of it, what, what makes it special is because how much money I've got. You know, we just don't talk that way. Even people out in the world who, you know, don't claim to follow Christ, they don't talk that way. I think there was one movie called Greed or something. Maybe they talk that way. 
But we don't talk that way. Nobody says that. So why does Jesus make this point? Your life does not consist in what you possess. Because we may not say it, but it is deep in our hearts. And the tentacles uh, of the greed monster uh, can grip us with an iron grip. And these attitudes, subtle but deep, can just run right through our soul. Life, we tend to think at times, does consist basically in my financial status. My worth is largely determined by my net worth. If you think that because you've got more money than somebody else that, you know, maybe you have a you know, little bit better, a little bit smarter, a little bit more clever, a little more deserving... You know, that's behind that attitude, that life really consists in what you own. If you think because you've got a lot of money that, uh, you know, I've really set, you know, rest of my life, I'm set, I'm secure. You're trusting, ultimately, in your money. Life consists of your money rather than of your God. Uh, This is a pervasive attitude. I don't know of anybody that's free of it. And if it is a pervasive human attitude, I mean, what about us who live in one of the most affluent cultures ever? in history. And we're bombarded with messages. In fact, you know, in another week, most of us will be watching the Super Bowl where very, very bright people will be spending enormous amounts of money to convince you, you need more stuff. You know, $4.5 million for a 30-second commercial those, those companies will spend. And we're bombarded in our culture. It'd be very, very rare if someone, and to some extent, did not think, my life is all about what I owe, my worth, my value, my happiness, I'm going to be happier if I have that new Lexus. And, and that'd just be hard not to be uh, enamored, to some extent, by how much you possess. And, and Jesus challenges us. He just brings it to our sword. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, Manhattan, uh, I regard as, as perhaps the most insightful pastor in America, at least of the ones who write and uh, uh, we know about. He said he defines greed as the inordinate love of money. It is when you look to money the th- and the things money can buy to supply what God only supplies, security, significance, identity. He says this is the sin, the sin that none of us is guilty of. He says, greed hides itself from the victim. You don't compare yourself to the rest of the world. You compare yourself to those in your income bracket. He says, the human heart always wants to justify itself. You say, I don't live as well as him or her or those folks over there. My means are modest compared to them. But Jesus warns people far more often about greed than he does about sex, yet almost no one thinks they are guilty of greed. You know, if, if we had just complete honesty here this morning, and I ask you, you know, uh, are you guilty of greed? You know, probably not a one in a, a hundred would say, yeah, I'm guilty of greed. Uh, is that realistic that Jesus talks about money and greed, all this amount, and nobody here is guilty of it? I think the opposite is true, that we're all guilty, and we all struggle with it. He goes on to say, uh, in light of this, that we should all begin with a working hypothesis that this could easily be a problem for me. If greed hides itself so deeply... No one should be confident that it's not a problem for them. It says most Americans think of themselves as middle class, and only 2% call themselves part of the upper class. It says, but the rest of the world is not fooled. 
When people visit here from other parts of the globe, they are staggered to see the level of materialistic comfort that the majority of Americans have come to see as a necessity. And I think Keller's right. This is an area that all of us struggle with. So just encourage you to be just open to the Spirit of God. Lord, what do you have for me today? Because he wants to set you free. He wants to give you something. So what are some of the signs, practical signs, that maybe this is a problem and issue for me? One is if you're always or forever dreaming and scheming about how I can make more money, or if you're forever dreaming about, you know, the next thing I need to buy to make me happy, if you feel superior to those who have less money than you, or if you feel jealous of those who have more money than you, if you feel safe and secure because you got a lot of money in the bank, if you're always worrying and anxious over money, if you're accumulating excessively, certainly if you're not giving much, giving less than the biblical tithe. The key issue uh, and the polar opposite of, of, of greed is generosity. That is, uh, folks who are, are, are struggle with greed are not generous people. And generous people aren't greedy people. They, they just don't go together. One wise businessman in Dallas some years ago put it this way. He said, generosity is the drain plug of greed. You know, it just sort of sucks the greed down the bathtub. You know, first, well, uh, there, there was a couple that had severe conflicts in marriage because of money issues, which is so common. And... Uh, the husband was basically a miser, and the wife was more of a, you know, spendthrift. And particularly, she loved to spend money on clothes and appearances. And um, he thought she was selfish. She's selfish. She's so concerned about how she looks. She's spending all this money. Now, he, for his part, was a miser. He wouldn't spend hardly any money, and he wouldn't give any money. And the counselor at one point pointed out to him that that can be just as much selfishness because you're spending money on your need for security and to be in control of everything. And that can be just as selfish. And, and it just sort of hit him. Yes, that can. And, and, and he just was, uh, and it led to the changes in, his, in their marriage. And by the way, that scenario is probably true of a lot of you guys out there. And, uh, you know, the only thing that gives us security and significance and identity in life is a Savior who died on the cross for us, the gospel the gospel. No amount of money or possession of things can do it. So we look to, to money to do things that only Jesus can do. A little bit later, or actually in the same verse, in the same passage, uh, Jesus says this. Again, verse 15. He says, take care and be on your guard against all greed. Be on your guard against all greed. Have you ever even met someone, another believer, who that, you know, kind of obeyed this verse so that they were really on their guard against greed? It's very rare. Let me tell you about my running at Burroughs Park. Burroughs Park is a large park about three miles west of here on the Huffsmith something road. It's uh, towards Tomball. And uh, it's my favorite place to run. And several days a week when I'm healthy, you know, about five days a week, I drive seven minutes from my house, park there, and I go on these beautiful trails through the woods. And it's backed by Spring Creek, and there's no traffic, and you don't hear the cars, and I just feel like I'm in the middle of the woods. I am in the middle of the woods. Uh, but uh, Burroughs Park has a major downside. Beginning in the spring, 
And all through the summer, down through the fall, uh, there are snakes out there. And so I'm running lickety-split, and I, and I just can't, well, not that lickety-split. I'm running <laughs> through the, the park, and, uh, and, you know, my mind is wandering. Maybe I'm praying. Maybe I'm just, you know, just my mind's wandering. And, and I've got to be on my guard about snakes because they're out there. And a, a, a little a brown, two-shaded brown copperhead is right about the same color as the pine needles and the brown dirt on those trails. And it is easy to just to run right up on those copperheads. And over the years, uh, you know, a number of times, I'm about to step on a copperhead, happen to glance down and see I'm about to step on a copperhead, and I get a shot of adrenaline and I'm able to go farther than that. <laughs> Never stepped on one. But, but I am on my guard all the time while I'm running out there. I mean, from the first time I'm headed down the road, I'm just kind of glancing up. I've just sort of trained myself to glance up. You know, is there anything long, black, dark out there in the trail ahead of me? And sometimes I'll see something, and I'll have to really discern, look at it. Is this a, a stick or a snake? And I'm kind of looking for some movement there. And most of the time, it's a stick. My point is, I am on my guard. I don't want to get bitten by a snake out there. I'm on my guard. And, and what Jesus in the Bible throughout is warning us about is there is a venomous serpent of greed that can do far more damage to your soul and your family and your life and your marriage than any snake can do to your body. Be on your guard. 1 Corinthians 6, I think, has perhaps the two most pungent passages in the New Testament on money. One of them is very relevant right here. Verse 9 and 10. First Timothy 6, 9 and 10. This is Luke's mentor, Paul, inspired by God, writing this. He says in verse 9, those who desire to be rich, those who are preoccupied with being rich, you're always playing the lottery, you're always, you know, you're those who desire, who lust after being rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, how strong is that? Plunge people into ruin and destruction. Is there anybody in America that would fit that category? I'll give you an example. Okay, I read this this week. The grandkids of Walt Disney, that massive estate that he would have. You know, $140 billion company today, Massive amount, you know, built basically on the concept of the happiest place on earth. Well, uh, Walt Disney had three kids. The, the youngest child had, uh, had three kids, including twins. And she died young, 56 years old, about 20 years ago. So all of that money comes to those three kids. And there was something written in the will that uh, there's a caveat. You know, uh, well, basically, about every five years, they each one got 20 to $30 million, depending on how much money it was making, the trust was making. So a lot of money. But there's a caveat that if there's any mental instability, if there was any uh, financial irresponsibility, uh, any imbalance, something like that, that, that you don't get your money. Now, you can guess where that's gone. Those twins, I think Brad and Michelle, are accusing the other one of, uh, of, uh, of, of instability, irresponsibility, and outright greed. They have not spoken to each other in four years. 
And, you know, every, you know, five years, they're just going to battle in the courtroom, which is not the happiest place on earth. You think that's preoccupying them and ruining their lives? Yes. And it's happening all around us. And we would be naive to think this just happens to the super rich and not to us. It can bring, the Bible says that the love of money plunges people into ruin and destruction. In fact, the very next line is that famous line that says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not, not money. Money is a neutral thing. It's just a tool. But the love of money, thinking that your life consists of your money. It's all about your money and all about the things you can buy. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Just bad. Just bad. Be on your guard. So when those commercials come, saying that you really need this car to be happy, laugh at it. And when you go buy a car, uh, just remind yourself, this is not going to make me happier. You know, enjoy the car. But, but remind yourself, my house, my car, my clothes, no thing can fulfill my soul that only can be fulfilled by my God. Just, let's just remind ourselves we're on our guard. So Jesus is telling us this. He wants to set us free. Back to, back to Luke 12. It says, be on your guard. Life doesn't consist in what you possess. And then he tells a little story. It says, basically, this uh, verse 16, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, now, now he's not going to say, I'm really greedy. The word greed is not going to be used. But, but listen for his greed mentality in what he says. He says, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. God says, that is so foolish. Your soul is required of you tonight. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, was it greedy that he had a great crop? No, of course not. Was it greedy that he had plenty of money and wealth? Of course not. It's not greedy to have wealth. Uh, some of God's most dear intimates, plenty wealthy, David, Job, Abraham, others. Uh, that's not the problem. The problem was his whole attitude and perspective. The problem is not money and wealth. The problem is your attitude towards it if you've got a lot or a little. What was his attitude? Well, this is what was absent. No sense. God, thank you for blessing me with all this bumper crop. Lord, it all belongs to you. What do you want me to do with your money? Lord, is there somebody I can help, somebody I can, I can uh, uh, give some of this to? Um, Lord, you've given me so much. I'm just so grateful. But my trust is in you, not my money. You know, he, none of that. Uh, no thought about others. Really, no thought about the next world, but only about this world. Only thought about himself. Uh, no sense of gratitude, stewardship to God. If we see it as ours... Uh, you know, a, a red flag that we are seeing it from a very myopic perspective. Imagine this scenario. Okay, uh, it's 1863. You live in northern Virginia. It's during the, the United States Civil War. Those of you who come from other countries, which we love, uh, Civil War, 1861, 1865, the most destructive war in our nation's history by far. The North versus the South. Okay, you're in Virginia, which is right on the border between the north and the south. You're wealthy. 
you got a lot of money. But uh, the Confederacy doesn't allow you to keep your U.S. currency. They are a separate country in their mind, and they are having their own currency. So all of your cash is converted to Confederate currency. Now, you're a smart guy, so you realize there's no way the South is ultimately going to win this war. They may have a lot of enthusiasm, and they may have Robert E. Lee, but, but they're not going to win this war. The North has too much firepower, too much factory power. And so you're smart, and you cagely, a year or two before the war ends, think to yourself, pretty soon, my millions of dollars in Confederate money is going to be worth zero. Zero. Pretty soon. So he... Uh, secretly converts uh, all of his wealth, except what he needs to live on, he converts the rest of his wealth into the northern currency, U.S. currency. And when the war ends in 1865, in April of 1865, he's got some fellow rich landowners who have zero after that, and they have to abandon their plantations and all that kind of stuff. But not him. He's got tons of money because he recognized that Confederate value, Confederate currency, was going to be worth zero pretty soon. Now, friends, if you think, uh, you know, those other Confederate folks should have seen that, what about us? Pretty soon, do you know pretty soon, blink of an eye, really, all of your money is going to be worth zero, zero. And what Jesus says to you, don't store up treasure on earth, store up treasure in heaven. And by giving to God, you store up treasure in heaven. He's saying smart people get the, get the currency of eternity and not the currency of this brief life. And there's the challenge for us. Verse 21, he ends, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, if I could go back to 1 Timothy 6, which I said I think had the two most powerful passages on money in the New Testament. Well, the other powerful passage is at the end of that chapter, 1 Timothy 6, beginning at verse 17. And this one's particularly relevant for us. It says this, as for the rich in this present age. Now, 2% of you are saying, okay, that's me, but, but let's not uh, go with the regular stats. Let's recognize that compared to all the people on the globe today, certainly compared to all the people who have ever lived in history on the globe, we are the rich. Just about all of us. You know, you make forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000, you're the rich. Okay, this is to you. This is to you. Okay, God's talking to you. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Friends, it is very hard to make a lot of money and in some extent not feel superior. Charge them. Don't be haughty. Charge them not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. How many people in 2008, when the global recession hit, had their money in the, the, on riches and they lost tons? It's uncertain. It's uncertain. Uh, don't set your, 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 your hope, your trust in your retirement. But, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, that's an important balance in this whole discussion. Did you hear what God just said? God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You know, we're not called here to, you know, vow poverty in the monastery. That's not the, that's not the New Testament. 
uh, enjoy what God's given you. You know, last night, my wife and I went with another couple to a very expensive restaurant, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, especially because they paid. <laughs> enjoy the good things. You got a nice car or something, enjoy it. It's, it's, it's not a, you know, kind of a, an aesthetic, holier-than-thou, self-righteous attitude. Enjoy what God's given you. Just don't think you're special. Don't think you're big stuff, and don't put your hope in it. But then there's more. The last sentence, it says, they, the rich, us, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. That's how you store up treasure in heaven. You're generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. That's how you store up treasure, by your generosity. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Here is life. Remember Luke 12, Jesus said, life is not in your money. Here is life right here. It's in God. Something close to God. In fact, you could broaden that from the New Testament. Life is being, is in relationships, God and people. Richness is being loved and loving others. It's, it's receiving and giving love. That's richness. He says, look at that as life. That's really life. Wise people. It's very rare. Wise people look at money and things in that way. You know, church, I, I, I so long for all of us to experience all that God has for us in the brief life we've got. And, and uh, as I said earlier, and I mean it, of course I want you to give to your church where you worship, but, but I know Wood's Edge is going to be good and fine financially. Just so much generosity here. But what if I was leaving tomorrow and I'm not going to pass you again? This is what I'd want to say to you. If, if I was asked to say some final things to you about money, or say uh, I was going to write a note to my grandkids about money, you know, what, what would I want for them? And this is what I'd want. Enjoy what God gives you. Yeah, do that. Enjoy it. Um, certainly give off the top at least 10%, because that's the biblical standard that uh, you know, we, we give as an act of worship to God, the first 10% at least, to say that God's first in my life. And uh, I would so want my grandkids to do that. I know they will. And I'd so want you to do that. So enjoy, uh, give. I'd say this, uh, save wisely but not excessively. You know, this is not, you know, need to save up a whole bunch of Confederate money at the end of the war. Um, I would say be very careful of debt. You know, maybe house, you know, well, for most of us, a house, maybe cars, but that's about it. Certainly no building up credit card debt. I mean, every month you just got to pay that thing off completely. Those are, are some of the basic principles. Oh, I just say this. I'd be continually reminding myself that uh, the things that I own are not going to make me happier. Delight myself in God. He alone does it. If you are living in bondage and slavery and misery when it comes to money and finances for whatever reason, um, there are resources out there. Financial Peace University, led by Dave Ramsey, has helped millions throughout the globe. Um, his writings, his tapes, his videos, uh, just I'd so encourage you to, to take advantage of that. If we can help you, but let's live in the freedom that, that God has for us. And let's decide we're going to live our lives characterized not by greed, but by generosity.
And that's the fun way to live.